So honestly, I gave up on life. I actually asked my cousin to write my eulogy. I was like, you might as well write it since I'm alive. I want to see what you're going to see because I literally thought it was going to be the end of my life. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. On today's episode, we're talking about multiple sclerosis, a disease that affects women more than men. My guests here are Cherie Carrara and Dr. Jay Paramal. Cherie is the Vice President and Product Manager for Digital Channels at JPMorgan Chase. Jay is the Attending Neurologist for Wild Cornell Medicine at New York Presbyterian Hospital, and she specializes in MS and other neuroinflammatory diseases. I learned a tremendous amount from this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Jay and Cherie, thank you so much for being here on our Women on the Move podcast. It is really great to be able to speak with you both today. Glad to be here, Sam. Very, very glad to be here. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Jay. Thank you, Cherie. We're going to talk here today about multiple sclerosis, which is a disease that impacts more women than men. And I really appreciate both your expertise and experience in this. I think it's really going to be of great help to our listeners. So Jay, I want to start with you. For listeners who might not be familiar with MS, can you describe what the disease is and how it manifests in people? Thank you for the question. It's good to start at basic fundamentals. So MS is an autoimmune disease, which means somehow your own immune system gets triggered to produce these cells that are circulating in the body, and then they gain access into the brain or the optic nerve or spinal cord and cause lesions there. And that leads to patients having symptoms. So it could be anything from vision problems, double vision, weakness, numbness, problems with balance, problems with cognition, depending on where the predominant lesions are. I mean, I just listed a bunch of symptoms. That doesn't mean a patient with MS should expect to have all of them or some of them. Each individual's manifestation and disease pattern is very unique to them alone. So depending on where the lesions are, they may manifest one or more of these symptoms. And also even within the disease itself, there is a very wide spectrum. There are patients who are at the milder spectrum of the disease where years into the disease, they may not manifest many symptoms. And you have patients at the other end of the spectrum who may have, you know, impairments earlier on or somewhere along the disease goes. So we have to cater management and treatment to each person at a very personalized and individual level. How old are people when they typically get diagnosed? And is the diagnosis hard to do for this disease? The average age at which uh, patients are diagnosed with MS is in the mid-20s. But obviously, it's a chronic disease. So we do have patients along in every decade as the disease progresses or as they've had the disease for a longer time. But usually, patients are diagnosed in their 20s. There are some patients who are outliers who are diagnosed in their teens or even children younger than that. And the same time, we also have patients who are diagnosed later in life. Some of the folks who are diagnosed later, they may have had symptoms earlier that they just ignored or didn't take it seriously. And others, it is truly something that happened later. But I do find there is still a bias where women's symptoms are often taken more 
lightly compared to when men complain of similar symptoms. So I occasionally do see patients, women who have had symptoms for some time and it was attributed to something or the other until somebody actually took it seriously enough to get an MRI and, you know, make the diagnosis. Especially because the ratio of women to men in MS is, it's almost approaching three is to one, somewhere between 2.5 is to one. So it predominantly affects women, younger women, and we need to uh, be cognizant of that. So I would love to know how you decided to specialize in MS and other neuroinflammatory diseases. You know, what inspired you to pursue this field? You know, I always liked neurology because the brain just fascinated me and uh, seeing, examining a patient with neurologic conditions, you know, kind of deducting where it is. It's like investigative work, you know, it's very exciting. Okay, you have this symptom, it uh, corresponds to this part of the brain or the spinal cord and you investigate and you take care of it. So neurology was something I always knew I wanted to be. But during my residency is when I got more interested in MS, because that's when I feel like an explosion of therapies and therapeutics for MS happened. Earlier, the first treatments for MS specifically addressed to control the immune system came out in the early 90s. Subsequently, over the next decade, we had so many treatments come in, which was very exciting to me because there was so much research going in that field, a lot of new treatments, and this disease affects a younger population. So it was very exciting to be a part of a field where we actually could make a difference in these people's lives. We could help them lead normal, fulfilling lives. So to be involved in that kind of care, and I like these long-term relationships. (laughs) So you start seeing patients in their 20s and they grow with you. You know, you see patients over time and you become friends. Thank you for sharing that. You're really describing the kind of relationship we all wish for with our medical providers. So it's really nice to hear how you approach it from your end. It's rewarding for us too, Sam, because a lot of inspiration to keep doing what we do, we get from our patients. Mm. So, you know, I often joke with my patients, you know, I get a lot out of this visit too, but I'm the one billing you for the visit. Right. <laughs> well, Sheree, I'd love to talk with you now about your experience. And I'd love to start with a day that I believe is meaningful to you, July 3rd, 2013. Can you talk about that day and what you learned that day? It was my uh, diagnosis date. And I am forever grateful for a date that I can remember because it's a day before Independence Day, but not so perfect because the doctors confirmed with a neurologist I saw, he said, um, sorry to tell you, but you have multiple sclerosis. And he wrote down the names of three MS doctors. He's like, I'm not a specialist, but you can choose between the three. And I, I looked at the paper and I said, oh, you write like a doctor. And then he started to laugh. He's like, you're going to be okay. I think I was still numb from understanding what was going on, but it really made sense when I got that diagnosis. And at the time, what was going through your mind? You know, were you dealing with symptoms that were just hard to place for a while? Was this at least some resolution of what you'd been feeling? Going back to my 20s, there were symptoms there in terms of my walking. So I would be walking on a very smooth surface and then I would fall. There was nothing there that would make me fall, but I would fall and it was like, huh, 
that's weird. And then you get up and you continue walking again. The one thing that saved me in terms of from a diagnosis perspective, not just going through the motions of what's going on, was I lost vision completely in my left eye. As bad as that sounds, I was grateful for it because otherwise, you know, there was an explanation for every other symptom I was having. I had chronic fatigue where if I sat on a chair for too long, I guarantee you I'm falling asleep. The commute, I live in New York, so the commute on the train became very difficult because of my walking. It was was a struggle. It was a really big struggle, but I am once again just glad I had a name to associate with all the symptoms that I was having. So you said that when you were first diagnosed, one of the fears you had was losing your job. And that can be a very common fear, I think, for people with this kind of diagnosis. What was that like for you and how did you overcome that? So honestly, I gave up on life. So my thought process was just completely wrong. I actually asked my cousin to write my eulogy. I was like, you might as well write it since I'm alive. You know, I want to see what you're going to see because I literally thought it was going to be the end of my life. I worked so hard. My dream was to be in corporate America. And then it became, I want to work for JP Morgan. And the colleagues around me, are, was, everybody was able-bodied. And I realized that I couldn't do what I used to do. I didn't think there was any other option out. I saw myself in a wheelchair. I saw my body, my organs just like dying and I wasn't going to make it. That's what I thought. Well, I hope it's been a process just of recovering from that as well, that mental toll, because both mental and physical are clearly critical. So we really appreciate you sharing that. Jay, when you hear patients like Cherie talk through this, how do you counsel them, particularly on the emotional toll of getting this diagnosis? Cherie, thank you for going through that. It's not easy, you know, and this is something we go through with patients. You know, the first visit when they come in, the initial neurologist or the primary doc may not have fully explained it or given them the diagnosis because they know it has all these connotations or otherwise patients come to us, we do the tests and then the second visit it is what the big visit is. So whichever visit. So when you actually have the reports of what you have looked at the images, you have the reports of everything and you have to actually sit down and tell them this is what it is. Like I mentioned earlier, we have so many treatments now. So a patient diagnosed now can expect to have a treatment that controls their disease very well. But we need to use these treatments early. We don't want to wait till a lot of problems have happened and then go on treatment. We need to prevent them from happening. So I have these long conversations with them. I explain the diagnosis and give them knowledge. Let them understand exactly what is happening, what we need to do. And at the end of that visit, I find that they are, you know, it is not fun to be told you have MS. And often that visit is overwhelming because it's not just you're talking about the disease. We have have to talk about the next step too, which is treatment. The most important thing is understanding what it is, committing to treatment and long term. So a few days here or here doesn't make it. So sometimes if it's too much, I, you know, this is the first time they are even hearing this word, I might split the visit. So initially I'm going to tell them this is what it is. This is what we need to do in terms of an overview. And sometimes we choose treatments based on their blood tests so that we can create a profile. So if there is time and this is the first time I'm seeing them, I'll do the diagnosis. I'll give them an overview. I'm going to tell, I tell them I'm going to be there for them. We are going to 
to do this together and you're going to be okay. It is tough, but if you spend the time, if you give the patients knowledge, if they understand what it is and what they have to do, provide the support and give them time and access and know that you are going to be there to see them through this, it makes a big difference. I don't know what you think about the Sherry, but I do tell my patients this or not to Google too much because in the beginning, the moment they find out they have MS, they go, there is a lot of misinformation. There is a lot of false information. And Number two, even if it is relevant for MS, like I'd mentioned, everybody's MS is different. It may not be relevant to you. So initially, when you see this list of symptoms or all that, it's going to be completely, you're going to think you're going to get all of it. So I tell them, at least till you have a good handle on this, please don't Google. And the second thing is telling people. Patients get very, obviously, it's a tough period, and they just go tell everybody. And then everyone else with the best of intentions are going to Google. And then they will come back and the patient doesn't want to keep talking about MS all the time, right? You have your life outside of MS. You want to do talk about other things, but because of their concern, they keep telling them, how are you? Do you have this? Do you have that? That is tough too. So apart from all the medical advice, these two things I do tell all my patients to do. Please stay off the internet. And second, be careful who you divulge this information to. I would say during my journey, I, I- I definitely, I Googled, um, I still Googled today. What assisted me was having that relationship with a doctor where I could ask, you know, it's like, I don't understand this. So for those, I would add, for those who are Googling, don't treat it as the word of everything. It's talk to your doctor, make sure you have that conversation and get more clarity on how it impacts you and whether it's something that you even need to be mindful of. 2013, July, I think by September 2013, I wasn't talking to anybody, family, friends, because I needed that moment to think. As you rightly said, I got 10 million opinions. I should do this. I should do that. And it became just very overwhelming. And I was crying all the time. So I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't even hear my cries. I could feel them because tears were falling. So that was my way to deal with it because I just needed a break. And then I reconnected again once I got more clarity and talking to my doctor again made a world of a difference. Thank you both for sharing all of that. That is so powerful. I think to look at it from both sides, the provider and and the patient side. Sheree, I want to talk to you about all the things you have accomplished since that time, for sure. I think your corporate dream remains very alive and well. So recently, Careers and the Disabled magazine celebrated you as an employee of the year for all your efforts on behalf of people with disabilities in the workplace. So first of all, congratulations Thank you for all the work that you do there. You know, how has your work on those efforts, what has that meant to you, you know, since your diagnosis and what kind of passion do you bring to that in the workplace? I'm on product manager, so I'm on the business side and I, you know, the diagnosis, I was like, I have to be in human resources on diversity inclusion. I have to be on the people side. And then, you know, I realized that I can bring that to the table because it's awareness. I represent the clients that we serve. And it's important for each of us to be at the table, to have a diverse view of what of clients that we are serving. So I had to bring it a step back into my day job. And then it became natural, or it is natural for me to, to share my experiences, share my view, and also understand, like understanding from Jay's perspective, what she what she's going through as a doctor. The awareness has been the most rewarding 
because people just don't know. Well, what should more employers do when it comes to helping people with all sorts of disabilities in the workplace? You know, what do you think are some of the fundamentals? Just kind of leveraging what JP Morgan has done, Office of Disability and Inclusion, they have videos in terms of how to manage, you know, hearing the news as a manager or even from an employee perspective, telling your manager. I think the more awareness and information that's out there, we have to use the tools because it's not easy. It wasn't easy for me to disclose. And it's also not easy to hear. Like, what do you do after somebody says, yeah, I have multiple sclerosis? <laughs> like, what do you do? I now have a different ability. It's not the same abilities as before. It's different, but I can, I need help. Sometimes my memory goes and I could ask the same question within two minutes. And it's understanding that it's just a moment. It's okay. I just need support and help. So use the tools that are there and understand it becomes a personal journey. We all have different abilities. Having a disability does not mean being in a wheelchair because we, we see that little logo all the time of somebody in a wheelchair. So that, that's what I grew up on. Like that's what I thought a disability was. And JP Morgan does provide those tools. So Jay, as the doctor to so many patients who have to consider all those workplace accommodations, you know, what do you think employers need to do in the workplace with their policies or just the environment overall? Disabilities don't fit into one mold. We have patients with visible disabilities that, you know, someone can see that there is a problem and talk to them to adjust. But then there are invisible disabilities. Should we had mentioned the cognition? And that is very, very prevalent in MS. I've had folks say that, but you don't look disabled. Fatigue and cognition are very, very common symptoms in MS. And, uh, you know, you could look at somebody and they look fine, but they have a problem. Fatigue is one of the most common symptoms in MS across the board. And second is communication. I think patients need to be able to communicate with the folks at work and whatever support they need from the doctor, they should get. So I've had several patients who it doesn't take much, right? Sometimes you just need to make some adjustments and patients can continue their jobs, live productive life. So one is recognition with everybody and understanding that there are disabilities that may not be so obvious. And second, communicating that to to the folks at work and to the doctors so that we can advise. Sheree, when you think about, you know, making room in your life for this, which you obviously had to, how do you balance then, you know, your job, your personal life and your health? What did you have to do change-wise in your life to really address your new needs? It's a continuous journey. I will say I am still adjusting to used to be able to do something before and I can't now. To be honest, like last week, I took last week off because I realized I didn't do a good job of managing or balancing that work life and including my health. And I didn't realize I was so into that managing that lifestyle until I was like, I, I got sick, started to get sick. I started to see some symptoms, paying attention. Like I love a routine and I got out of my routine. I do yoga in the mornings. I do my meditation. I make sure I, you know, if you look in my kitchen right now, it's all vegan. <laughs> and I, I stopped my routine because I got caught up in just life. Being okay with taking a break, just knowing, especially if you have a great team, and I think we all hopefully have a great team, is that somebody else will will step up. You know, there's no pill or remedy or solution I can say that one works for all, but listen to your body. Your body tells you everything. You might not know that you're going way left and you need to go a little bit more to the right, but your body will tell you. 
During this period, the pandemic period, did some things get harder to do? Did some things get easier to do? You know, how did you fare in the last year or so? And were you able to work from home? And did that help? So yes, I was able to work from home. I think everybody was working from home. It had pluses and minuses, I think, with everything. The difference is there was no interaction with anybody outside of my home, except my cat. So that was hard. You know, my lifestyle really changed in July 3rd, 2013. So I adjusted a little bit more easily to just be mindful, you know, the washing the hands and just, you know, staying distance from folks. So I had already kind of started that lifestyle. So it wasn't very hard, but the emotional part was hard. Jay, when you think about some of the societal norms we live with around MS or frankly, even other things that people are dealing with, what are the things that we really need to challenge when it comes to better understanding of what people are going through and then their capabilities? One of the biggest thing is recognition, which I'd mentioned earlier, because many people have very rudimentary knowledge of MS or, you know, so it is associated with certain connotations. And the other thing is MS is a treatable condition now. If we start treatments early, people can live normal lives. We can control the disease very well. And I find that many times, whether it's patients or people with them, the moment they are told they have MS, they expect a certain timeline. They are going to think this will happen in these many years. This will happen in these many years. This Mm -hmm. will happen in these many years. They have very clear idea in their heads of their disability or what is going to happen to them. We need to change that. It's not going to be like that. You're going to be okay. You're going to be able to walk. You're going to be able to work. You need to do things. You need to take care of things. You need to do what you have to do, but you're going to be okay. It's not that mold, that timeline they preconceived and set in place. It is such a hopeful message. I really appreciate hearing that. Shuri, what do you think of when you hear Jay's comments? You know, I I really think it starts with us in terms of the individual, because I felt so embarrassed and like everybody was watching and judging me, but not realizing I was doing it to myself. Even at work, I told no one, right? And I was suffering. I remember when I finally told a colleague and she's like, oh, I knew something was wrong with you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what? I could, in my head, I was, you know, acting as if I didn't have MS. But it's a personal journey of accepting this disease. And once I started to accept that I can't do things, like I used to be an avid runner. It, I tried. It's not going to work. So I had to give that up and I had to be okay with that, which was very, very hard. But I took on or I started other hobbies to, to replace that, that love because at the end of the day, I just love the feeling of running. What else can give me that feeling? Knowing the sensitive body that I am in, what can give me that feeling? So it becomes just playing around and being open to, to change, to growth. It's different. And Sheree, you've been a real vocal advocate for self-identifying disabilities, other things about yourself in the workforce, given that what you just described, you know, having colleagues maybe not know at first about what you were going through. Why is that self-identification important to you? One of the reasons was pity, right? I do not need people to pity me or treat me differently just because. I think, you know, if you're going to have compassion, have compassion. But at the end of the day, we're here to do a job and I was not able to do it. And no one knew when I self-identified, told my manager, told my my team, then I got the help to do my job. I don't even know how to explain, but I'll say a load was taken off my shoulders when I realized, oh, all I need to do is ask for help. You mean JP Morgan, you guys are willing to help? 
and it made a world of a difference. But I have been in situations where I don't want to disclose. I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe. And it's been a struggle. It's like, who can I talk to that, not directly to that person, but is there anybody in the org chart where I can just explain? Because if people don't know, they're just going to be, if you're supposed to do one, two, three, and you do four, five, six, it's a problem. I don't want to be in that situation where the trickle down effect is going to impact somebody else's work. So it's important to know the impact you have in the, I'll say the chain of handing off assignments or or even just meetings, et cetera. It's who can you trust to tell? So Jay, if people take one thing away from your work and your messages today, what do you think that should be? One is if you have symptoms or if you have something, don't take it for granted. Don't ignore it. Often you find excuses, you know, this is why this happened. Or if you're not getting the answers that satisfy you, there are enough personnel around us. Go somewhere where you're taken seriously, where an adequate workup or they will look into what is causing those symptoms. Uh, Find yourself a good doctor or provider that you can connect. You have options, right? Don't settle. (laughs) Don't settle. It's not like it's your prerogative to choose. So just because you saw someone doesn't mean you have to stay with them. Probably the first person you saw may be good, but if they don't resonate with you, if you don't have a connection, because this is a long-term relationship, you need to be perfectly in sync with your provider. So seek that out. And, you know, again, especially for younger people, people who are diagnosed now, this is a treatable disease. Please don't wait. Please don't wait for more and more problems to come before you go on a better treatment or seek a better provider or get this thing taken care of. Thank you. That is so important. Really appreciate that message. And Sheree, what do you most want people to understand about MS? Remember to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Like mind driven in terms of how to fix things and how to be better that I forgot how to laugh. Read the books that make you laugh, you know, watch the comedies, just take a moment for yourself because you're going to need it. It's called, I would say you have to re-energize to continue on the path. Well, I say this to the friends, colleagues, and supporters uh, for you and many other people. We'd love to be there to laugh with you and, and help you get through things when they're difficult. So Sheree and Jay, thank you so much for speaking with me on this topic. It is amazing to hear your experiences and what you're doing to help others both at work and in the medical sector. Huge thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sherry. And it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for these kind of efforts to educate the community. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Sheree Carrara and Dr. Jay Paramal on MS and increasing our awareness of disabilities of all kinds. I'm still thinking about Jay's encouragement to get treatment early and to find a doctor you can have a long-term relationship with. And I really appreciate Cherie's willingness to share her experiences living with MS. I'm reflecting on how I can create a more supportive environment as a manager and a friend. Please read the episode description for additional information on how to support people who are living with a disability. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss any others. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein.
JPMorgan Chase Bank N.A. is a member of the FDIC.